quick exercise. Think about how much you think sleep matters. Are we talking like scale one to ten here? Or eh, sure, maybe one to a hundred. Okay, whatever that number is, multiply it by twenty, <laughs> because it matters way more than we can even fathom. This has been one of the craziest few weeks ever in Learner Lab history of digging into the research of sleep, why we do it, and why it matters. And honestly, my mind is blown right now. I honestly don't really know where to start. There's so much we could get into, like looking into how big of an impact sleep has on our health. Like as soon as we're getting less than six hours, heart attack risk up, blood pressure up, risk of stroke up. All these terrible things. And that's just if we're under six hours. And as soon as we're getting more than six, if we're getting seven to nine, all those things are way better. It has like a huge impact on our health, more than we can even fathom. And that stuff is super important. But this is the Learner Lab podcast, This is the Learner Lab. And it ends up, the research around how important sleep is to learning is ridiculous. I'm Trevor. I'm Alex. Welcome to the Learner Lab podcast presented by trainugly.com. Each week, something new that can help us learn. Let's go. So sleep and learning. We're going to talk about a study that involves cats. My name is Marcos Frank. Uh, I've been involved in sleep research for probably over 25 years. I moved to Washington State University in 2014, and now I'm chair of their Department of Biomedical Sciences in the medical school. So right now, most of my research is focused on how sleep influences brain plasticity. Plasticity. Does that sound familiar, Alex? That's one of our favorite words. That's our all-time favorite word here at the Learner Lab. And if you remember episode six, Michael Merzenich, the father of neuroplasticity, showed us how this is sort of the foundation for learning. Because our brain can change, that means we can learn, grow, and get better. Neuroplasticity is everything. Now back to the cats. If you cover the eye of a cat then the brain will sort of rewire those connections towards the eye that's open because that's the one it's going to be using. Yeah, and he said this is like a really good way to test for plasticity because it happens rather quickly. Like as soon as you cover the eye for a few hours, certain pathways fire towards the other eye and you could see the change happen like immediately. Exactly. So we can leverage that system now to ask, what does sleep do with that kind of plasticity? So that's where I came in. Can we find a way that we can examine how experience shapes these circuits and then let the animals sleep a little bit and then see what happens to the circuits more after that. Basically what happens to plasticity when we sleep and when we don't sleep. So the way that they did this was they covered the eyes of these cats Mm -hmm. and then they let them just live their lives for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they took one group of the cats and they let them go sleep. And then the other group, they kept the cats in the dark, but they didn't let them sleep. So we have a sleep group and a sleep deprivation group. Exactly. What we found in a nutshell was that if you let animals sleep after that experience, there's about twice as much plastic change. If you didn't let them sleep, it completely went away. The sleep group went up. The sleep deprivation group went down. So it was like an unwiring. It's right. like anti-reps. Like right. It's, it's, it's what you don't away. want. Yeah, absolutely. So this blows my mind because I used to think of sleep like, oh, when we get it, it's fine, it's important, I feel rested. Right. I never knew that it impacts plasticity in a good and bad way. Right. Lack of sleep not only just leads to no boost, but it actually takes away our plasticity. This is kind of the epitome of this is either going to help us or hurt us, right? Like yeah. it's not just inactive right. time. Exactly. Until that time, 
there had been no direct evidence in any part of the brain that sleep or sleep loss actually affected plasticity in the living brain. That's what made this so uh, revolutionary at the time. And the fortunate thing was that it worked. <laughs> it's because if it hadn't, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. Okay, so sleep helps with the neuroplasticity of cats. But there's more to this story. This is something that affects us as well. We're going to get to that. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode of the Learner Lab podcast is brought to you by the stack of stickers on my desk. There's 300 of them left and they need a home. You can solve this problem. All you need to do is rate, subscribe, or comment on the pod, send us your address, and Jack will package the sticker and send it to you for free. Back to the show. Now, this isn't just something that works in cats. Right. Matthew Walker, uh, He's a professor of neuroscience at the University of California, Berkeley. And before that, he was a professor at Harvard Medical School. Great book called Why We Sleep. A lot of his work is around motor skills, mm -hmm. which is a super relevant topic, especially for athletes. Like motor skills are any sort of movement right. skill. It's, it's huge for sports, learning an instrument, Absolutely. artistry, all of that stuff. So talk to us about some of his motor skills research. So they had these two groups, and they taught them a basic motor skill, and then they would test them. So the first group, they started at 10 a.m. in the morning, and they tested them to see how many times they could do it in 30 seconds. And then they tested them again 12 hours later at 10 p.m., and they saw no real increase there. And then they let them sleep, and 12 hours later they tested them again, and there they saw a 20% increase. Wow. So no increase between practice session and test session without right. sleep, right. yet with sleep saw a 20% boost. Right. Now, okay. there's kind of another interesting thing that comes with the other group. Okay. So the other group, they brought them in at 10 p.m., tested them, and then let them sleep and come back 12 hours later. 20% mm -hmm. increase again right there. And then mm -hmm. they let 12 more hours pass and tested them at 10 p.m. the next day, no increase again. So that first group... They waited 12 hours. There was no increase in because in, they were awake, right. right? The second group, they waited 12 hours, which was sleep, mm -hmm. and they saw a 20% increase. Okay, so what you're saying is regardless of when these gaps of time happen, mm -hmm. if we're awake, we don't get the boost. Right. When we are allowed to sleep, we saw a 20% boost in performance. Right. Again, this is illustrating something is happening when we're sleeping. It's right. not just like, oh, do this and then go away from it. It's like when we sleep, more change is happening. Right. It's not just rest. Our brain is rewiring connections and that's yes. going to show up in our motor skills later. It's kind of funny that that idea that the brain is idling or dialing itself down uh, during sleep is still prevalent. But that was dispelled 50, 60 years ago. So when REM sleep was discovered back in the 1950s, that was the end of the idea, at least among those that knew, that sleep was a time where the engine was simply idling or turning off because the brain was full of activity, and it is full of activity during rapid eye movement sleep. So like... Marco's study shows that plasticity is increased, and this is sort of the proof of it right. in a motor skill. Exactly. Like, they didn't necessarily measure the neurons like Marco's did, uh -huh. but they measured the performance, which is what we care about right. more. So it's saying our brain's changing, and because our brain is changing, we're seeing the results in the motor skills. 20% boost in performance because we slept. This works on both sides of the fence. There's a study I saw that Matt Walker was talking about where... 
they had two groups of students. One was allowed to sleep and one was like the sleep deprivation group. But this time they looked at it before an activity. And what they found is under these two conditions, the sleep deprivation group actually soaks up 40% less information than the group that was allowed to sleep. So sleep's important beforehand too. Before and after. I almost said during, but let's not say during. But before, this is sort of priming our brain to soak up more information. That's a 40% boost compared to the sleep deprivation group. And then we get the boost afterwards. Sleep isn't just like the save button. So mm-hmm. say we get a bunch of reps doing something. Right. I used to think, oh, go to sleep and like Put it on you're going to be right of... where you were when you left off. Right. What this evidence is suggesting is it actually boosts us. Like more learning happens while we're asleep, whether that's cats and their neurons right. or the motor skills that we all are trying to learn and get better at. Perhaps the most fascinating study that I found they were looking at rats like running through a maze and the way they set it up they could like hook these little electrodes up to the rats as they run through the maze Mm -hmm. and they're able to come up with sort of a sound profile of the rat running through the maze so when certain pathways fire in the brain it creates a certain sound so if it runs through the maze say it creates a sound like Uh Like, that's the rat running through the maze. Every time they run through the maze, it makes that sound. Same exact sound. Then the rats were allowed to sleep, but they were still hooked up to the electrodes. And what they heard is that same pattern, but on hyperspeed. It was like, (laughs) up to 8x faster than the actual speed of the rat running through the maze. Wait, so is that saying that when we're sleeping, we're running through... Not only running through and firing the pathways, Uh but at an increased speed. It's like max reps, like boom, 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 firing those pathways at 8x. That's crazy. Now, we don't know exactly what happens when we sleep that leads to this boost in learning. But I think this starts to shine some light on perhaps what is happening is Uh our, our brain is actually reliving the experience and firing those pathways again, right? and it could be at hyperspeed. That would sort of align with that plasticity research from earlier, right? If we're right. running through and replaying those those experiences from earlier in the day, yeah. it's rewiring our brain still. It goes right back to what Michael Merzenich taught us, what fires together, wires together. If you think about this from an evolutionary standpoint, if we evolved to spend eight hours a day not doing anything and it has no benefit to us. Pretty dumb. It's the biggest mistake <laughs> of all time. Of all time. So just the proof that all animals sleep. Right. All of them. And that's a really terrible move if right. you're, you're living very in vulnerable. the jungle. You're just sitting there in so the corner. it must be valuable. It's not just about rest. This is sort of flying in the face of everything I thought about sleep. A hundred percent. Like, number one, the way I used to think about it is it's for scrubs. It's like I would pride myself on not sleeping. Right. The layer above that is like, oh, yeah, it's nice to sleep. I feel better when I do. Right. Your intuitive feeling about sleep is, well, it must be restoring something. It must be restful because I feel better. But that's your, you know, that's your conscious appreciation of some deep process, right? This is, oh, my goodness, we have to be sleeping not only for the health stuff like that could be a whole nother pod right but specifically for learning specifically here. for learning a huge boost in what we learn and what sticks because of the sleep it's giving it's essentially giving us like additional reps right firing the pathways more this is nuts 
We're going to provide links to additional research and some suggested podcasts and books. But I think these few studies illustrate the point. Sleep matters more than we can even fathom. For health and learning, we need to be getting more of it. But now we need to kind of phase into, so like, what is good sleep? What mm-hmm. does that look like? It's not just as simple as, a, like, a number of hours. Right. A lot of the research we've seen is it's more about, like, the quality of the sleep we're getting. And in regards to quality of sleep, uh, the two things we keep hearing is it needs to be consistent and continuous. Right. And this continuous piece just means trying to do it at the same time each night. Yep. So you're not going to bed. Waking up similar times regardless of the day. Right. And then that continuous piece deals with the phases of sleep, which are there's REM cycles and then non-REM cycles. Right. And REM cycles are those deep sleep. It's what we call dreaming sleep. Yes. And to get to the deep sleep, you have to go through these non-REM cycles. Yeah, you you can't just like immediately go there. Right. You know, a good good night of sleep in a person or an animal or mammal for that matter requires that you have all the cycles, right, non-REM and REM. So poor sleep, one of the first things that goes is REM. So when someone's got problems sleeping, REM sleep is really fragile. It just, it doesn't like big changes in temperature. It doesn't like, um, you know, it's very sensitive to medications. So when REM is gone, your quality of sleep is definitely impacted. To summarize, it's we're trying to get more hours without a doubt. Right. Because that gives us a better chance of getting to the REM. Right. And we need to be focused on being consistent with it and the continuous night sleep. Okay, so how are we supposed to do this? How do we go about this? There's a term called sleep hygiene, right? And that refers to you know, doing things before bed that won't interfere with your ability to go to sleep. Now, there's a lot out there about things that can help us sleep. But some of the more broad categories that have, we've seen across the research, so from different sources, one is the importance of light and dark. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of stuff about our circadian rhythms and how when it gets dark, our body is designed to release melatonin, which helps us get to sleep. The problem is with our phones and with lights and screens, we're sort of interrupting those rhythms and oftentimes delaying our melatonin release, which is why it's hard to get to sleep because we're essentially tricking our brain to believe it's still daytime because there's light everywhere. Right, like if we walk through our house at 10 p.m. and all the lights are on and we're looking at our phone, our brain thinks it's daytime. I'm picking up on these signals. And what they found is like our circadian cycles are actually super sensitive to light. There was a study that we saw where they compared one hour of reading before bed in dim light versus an hour on an iPad. What they found is the group that spent an hour on their iPad, their melatonin release was delayed by two to three hours. That's crazy. And the peak level of melatonin was decreased by like 50%. So they're not going to get to They're not getting as much. And it's delayed. So right. one, more difficult to fall asleep because I'm not getting that release. It's delayed. And then the level of melatonin is lower. And that's just an hour before bed on an iPad compared to the group that just spent an hour reading. Right. The other side of the, the light and dark equation is a lot of the stuff that we've read shows that it's actually important to get a lot of natural light throughout the day. And this kind of stores up the melatonin that's going to be mm-hmm. released. So the goal is it's just kind of like, Live like a human. It's right. like when it's day, get some natural light. And when it's dark, keep it dark. Right. The other topic is temperature. For our body to really like move into that sleep mode, if we can make it cool, it helps a lot. 
we've seen a range. It's like the ideal range is like 64 to 66 degrees, mm-hmm. a little cooler than you think. Right. That can help us get to sleep. Another interesting one is um, Matt Walker talks a lot about this. It's don't stay in bed if you're having trouble going to sleep. And what you're trying to do is you want your brain to associate your bed with sleep. Right. And so, and I'm the worst at this, like laying there for hours, not able to sleep. If that's happening, the research suggests that we like go do something else, go read on the couch. Once we're tired, go back to bed. The bed is for sleeping. We're trying to create this association. Bed means sleep. Right. Bed doesn't mean TV. Bed doesn't mean rolling around thinking about when I'm going to fill out my taxes. (laughs) I did that last night. (laughs) The bed is for sleep. The last piece, this one's tough. It's talking about like substances. And there's a few pieces to this puzzle. One is there are certain substances that are traps. What I mean by that is they kind of put us to sleep. Mm -hmm. But the research shows that there's a difference between being sedated and asleep. Right. Things like alcohol or sleeping pills will certainly help you go to sleep, but the research shows that it actually blocks the REM. It's putting you in a sedated state yeah. so you're not really so you're, getting to I'm the deeper asleep, cycles. I'm asleep, but I'm not hitting those cycles. I'm not getting the REM. I'm not getting all the benefits of the sleep. And again, that's kind of a trap. You're like, oh, helps me go to sleep. Must be good. It's like, we have to be aware. It's blocking those really, really good cycles. Right. The other one, and this one hurts my heart, caffeine. <sighs> We know that caffeine wakes us up. What we don't realize is how long it stays in our body. Matt Walker suggests kind of cutting it off by noon because as that caffeine remains in our system, two things happen. One is it makes it harder to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And I know someone out there listening is like, I can have a coffee at dinner and I still fall asleep. And it's you. (laughs) But here's the truth. Maybe that's true. But the evidence shows that it also blocks our REM. So you might be getting to sleep, but because there's caffeine in the system, it's sort of like getting in the way of that good stuff that we're after. Right. That's sort of the struggle with a lot of this, right? Like even though we might feel like we're getting to sleep and we might be getting to sleep, we're still blocking those deeper stages. Because it's about quality, right? Right. Like, of course, one of the battles to fight is to get to sleep sooner. Right. But the real battle and perhaps the more difficult is we, we need that quality to be good. Hit him with the recap. So where we're at with this, sleep is not only good for our health, but it's essential for learning. Yeah, and that's like a word that I'm definitely wouldn't have used it three weeks ago. No. I would say sleep is good. Right. Not it is essential in the process of becoming a better learner. Right. Obviously, the quantity of sleep that we're getting is important. We all need more. Right. For sure. Seven to nine hours is that range. Chasing eight. But also important is the quality of that sleep. Yeah. Which is trying to get to those deeper REM cycles. Yeah, that's kind of the underrated side that we don't really realize. Then we also talked about some some tools to help us get to sleep and also get good quality sleep. Mm-hmm. Keep it dark. Keep it cool. If we're restless, like go somewhere else. <laughs> right. And then be aware of how the substances could can be traps and kind of get in the way of this. Right. I hope that we did this justice because... Like, everything we've learned in the past two months of the Learner Lab matters. Like, I will go to bat on all these things. This is just something that kind of has opened my eyes, and I think it matters, like, so much. And this is something, this is a battle we should all be fighting and encouraging those around us to fight as well. It's like, we need to be better sleepers, and it just, I think it's so important. So hopefully we did the topic justice 
if you're hungry for more, we'll provide the links. But um, yeah, I don't. I just don't know what to say. It's like I'm kind of blown away at like how important this is. And as a recovering terrible sleeper, it's like really hitting home. Now it's time for the questions. Jack, load them up. Hi, Trevor. I'm Kristen Paulus from Green Bay Volleyball. The team and I recently just listened to your Learn Your Lab podcast, and we emphasize growth mindset in our gym every day at practice, but it's hard to correlate it during the game, especially in high-pressure situations. How would you recommend translating the growth mindset we have in practice into games? Thank you. Kristen, first of all, really appreciate the question. Um, Loki, huge fan of your team. In fact, Coach Sutherland is one of the best learners I know. So it's really cool to hear from you guys. Really, really good question there. And honestly, we've kind of been pondering like an entire episode about finding this balance. I think the big, the big issue here just for now is to be clear on what a growth mindset is. It's the belief we can grow. That isn't in conflict with wanting to do well in the game. Like, I can believe I can grow and still want to win. Just because we care about playing well doesn't mean we have a fixed mindset. It has nothing to do with that. So as long as we're maintaining the belief we can grow and get better, that's good. I think what we're really trying to do is always be learners. Learners are hungry to grow regardless of the situation. Yes, we want to win. We want the game to go well. And I want to play well. And at the same time, I can appreciate the opportunities to grow. I'm not afraid to put it on the line. I'm not afraid to go to battle. And I'm hungry to grow at the same time. None of these are mutually exclusive. We can kind of do it all at the same time. And the growth mindset is this underlying fuel that helps me believe that I can grow and get better. And that challenges and obstacles are a source that can help me do that. This is a topic we talk about a lot. And we've kind of been working on a whole episode devoted yeah, to it. Yeah, it's, it's going to take about 20 minutes to do this justice. But my number one tip is... Let's be learners. Use that word. That makes more sense. That's an action that we can all understand and use. And there's nothing wrong with caring about the outcome and performing well, as long as it doesn't get in the way of the opportunities to grow. Remember, you can leave a question, 805-635-8459. See you next week.